0: Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. So it's officially been three years, three years since... Lockdown, right? Since the city of Chicago shut down from COVID in March of 2020, three years—when I like three full years—when um, I when I realized that this week, I almost couldn't believe it. Right? These last few years for many of us have been some of the hardest years of our lives. From not only the effects of the pandemic, right, but the economic crisis, the ongoing racial injustice, the war in Ukraine, it just seems to go on and on. And I think the word I would use to describe these last few years for us as individuals, um, for us as communities, for us as nations, is these last few years have been traumatic. And while we would love, I think many of us, to just move on and get back to life as we knew it, before 2020, trauma just doesn't go away that easily, right? Many of you I'm sure have heard of Brene Brown. She does a lot of writing on trauma. And I recently read an interview that she was in just I think a week ago. Um, And I was kind of surprised that that she was still talking about this, but it made sense once I, I heard this quote. And on this idea of trauma, particularly in relation to the last few years, she said this, worrying about scarcity is our culture's version of post-traumatic stress. Worrying about scarcity is our culture's version of post-traumatic stress. She argues that many of us have adopted a scarcity mindset in response to the trauma of the last few years in particular. And I, I don't think I really need to define a scarcity mindset, but it's that voice in our head that says, There's never enough. There's never enough. And even worse, it says that I will never be enough. Does this sound familiar? Does this voice sound familiar to you? And I think many of us have adopted a scarcity mindset, not only uh, when it comes to daily life, but when it comes to God, right? Um, The season of Lent, which we're almost through, as much as I love it, it's such a powerful time, but it's this season where we really step into darkness. It's a season where we join Jesus in his fasting in the wilderness and his temptation and his journey toward the cross. If we're honest, it can feel like a season of scarcity and it can feel like we follow a God who promotes scarcity. But the good news of Lent and ultimately of Easter Sunday is that God meets us in the scarcity. God meets us in the emptiness and promises to fill us. To put it in other words, the philosopher Dallas Willard, I love this quote, he said, God's address is at the end of your rope. God's address is at the end of your rope. So when we feel like we're at the end of our rope, God meets us there and fills our emptiness. It's a a paradox, right? How does this work? But not only does God fill our emptiness, God actually delights in turning emptiness into an abundant overflow, into an abundant overflow. What I wanna do this morning is a little bit different than um, how I usually approach sermons. I just wanna look kind of at the story of scripture and look for images of overflow. Look for pictures of what it looks like to overflow with abundance, particularly in places that were once empty, all right? So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna jump in right from the very beginning of the creation narrative in Genesis 1, paints this picture, of a god who's a creator that takes emptiness he takes the void he takes this this barren Emptiness, and he turns it into light, life, and beauty, right? Theologians call this creation ex nihilo, right? Creation out of nothing. God took the emptiness, the nothingness, and he turned it into rivers flowing with water, oceans flowing, land with flowers, food, animals, and, and the pinnacle of creation, humankind, right? God turned emptiness into abundance. And this creator God would continue to turn emptiness into abundance throughout the story of his people, throughout the story of Israel. Even as Israel, as God's people turned away from his abundance time and time again, they chose this other path, this path of sin and death. Countless examples can be found of God breathing new life into empty creation. For example, I love this story in the book of Ezekiel. You might be familiar with it, but the prophet Ezekiel sees this valley of dry bones. He sees this empty, barren, desolate land with full of dry bones. And the Lord actually tells Ezekiel to prophesy to this barren desert of dry bones. He says this, The Lord said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. So the prophet Ezekiel does prophesy to the dry bones and he watches them come back to life bone by bone, tendon by tendon, breath by breath. God transforms this valley of dry bones into a living, breathing world army. And I mean talk about turning emptiness into abundance. And again and again, as Israel continues to walk away from their God of abundance, God intervenes and he reminds them of his powerful presence. Another example can be found in the passage that Kristen read for us from Isaiah 43. It's a really long but really beautiful passage and it goes on a couple verses later after what Kristen read and and it says this. It's about God's People who were living in captivity in Babylon, and Isaiah was prophesying to them about God's power to make a way in the wilderness. Listen to these verses. A couple verses later, from what Kristen read, this is Isaiah forty-three eighteen to nineteen forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. These images of dry bones coming back to life, of streams of water flowing in in barren deserts, of all creation being made from nothing. These images should paint a picture for us about the nature and character of of God. Our God delights in turning emptiness into abundance. And yet again, as the story of God's people continues, moves on into the newer Testament, humanity once again continues to choose the emptiness of the fallen world as opposed to God's abundance again and again. And eventually, thankfully, Jesus enters the scene and he sees the emptiness of the people all around him. Like we talked about last week week, right? This idea of hunger and thirst. Jesus notices the hunger and thirst that humanity has for more. He watches them search for satisfaction and strive after purpose, popularity, power, and so on and so on. But Jesus, this is interesting, he doesn't merely notice the emptiness of humanity. He actually becomes one of us in our humanity. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, says that although Jesus was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the form the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ made himself nothing, The Greek word used here is kenosis, kenosis. It's this self-emptying, this turning into nothing. In becoming human, God the son, the second person of the Trinity emptied himself, right? And he took on the nature of a servant. Why? Why did God empty himself and become a servant? Well, because God delights in transforming emptiness into abundance, right? All the other images that I had just mentioned about God turning emptiness into abundance, they ultimately point to this example, this final example, this final showing of God's power to transform. Jesus took on the emptiness of fallen humanity in order to fully and finally restore us to the abundance with which we were created. As one of us, Jesus fully understood what we experience as as part of the fall, as the effects of sin, right? Think about it. Jesus knew hunger and thirst. Jesus felt longing to be satisfied in the midst of dry and barren deserts. Jesus experienced betrayal and denial from his closest friends. Jesus knew the pain of unanswered prayer. He was one of us. Here are some powerful words about Jesus from Hebrews chapter two. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Does that sound like scarcity mindset to you? For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might Make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus suffered in order to help us in our suffering, Jesus emptied himself in order to help us in our emptiness. Jesus became fully human all the way to the point of death on a cross in order to break the power of death once and for all. Jesus fulfills what Kristen read from the prophet Isaiah. Jesus made a way by becoming a stream of living water in a dry and desolate desert. That's the paradox of the person of Jesus Christ. At one and the same time, he embodies both emptiness and abundance. He fully knows the pain and suffering of human existence while at the same time, he embodies the life-giving love of God. That's why Jesus is able to say, Outrageous things like we talked about last week, right? This outrageous offer that he makes to each and every one of us. He says this in John 7, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Anyone who is thirsty can come to Jesus and receive living water. Anyone who is empty can be filled. But we talked about this last week. What exactly is the living water that Jesus offers to fill us with? What is it? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And those who are filled with the Holy Spirit will never be empty again. In fact, it's not only... That we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not only what Jesus is offering. He's actually saying that we can overflow with abundance from the Holy Spirit. Another look at verse 38 that I just read shows us that Jesus not only offers to fill us with living water, but for rivers of living water to overflow from the inside out, from within us. Simply put, Whenever God's spirit fills someone, it is never for the sake of that person alone. It's always meant to overflow for the sake of others, for the sake of the world, because God delights in transforming emptiness into an overflow of abundance. So you tracking with me here? I know this is a lot of talk about God, but as I was preparing this week, I was talking with Shannon. I'm like, this feels just like all I can think of is like who God is and how beautiful God is and what God has done for us and for his people and and what that means for our lives. So I just have a couple more, like two more examples of this image of overflow and kind of what it might look like for us to actually overflow with God's love in our lives. Another beautiful picture of overflow is found in Jesus on the cross, right? In less than two weeks, Good Friday's coming, we're going to do a a, a much deeper look at Jesus on the cross and what that means um, at our Uptown congregation. So we'd love to see you there. But I just have to point one thing out that's been just really powerful for me as I've reflected on this image of living water and overflow. So after Jesus was crucified and he breathed his his last breath, soldiers kind of went up to the cross to just make, make sure that he was dead. Um, and then one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced Jesus's side. And at that moment, a sudden overflow of blood and water just came rushing out of the side of Jesus. And when I was looking into this, there is medical research to show that this would be the case, but I don't wanna, I don't wanna talk about that. I want us to notice the spiritual significance of this image of blood and water, right? Water and blood overflowing from the side of the crucified Jesus. What this image shows us is that even in the pain, in the suffering, even in death, living water still flows from Jesus. And this means that for you and I, living water can overflow from us, even in seasons of sorrow, hardship, and emptiness. Even when we feel like we're in a dry desert or an empty wilderness, we can drink from the living water, the deepest well from the Holy Spirit, right? We can be filled, not just be filled, but we can be filled to the point of overflow. Here's what this might look like. You've probably noticed every week we've been reading from Psalm 42 um, as our call to worship. Such a powerful psalm. But in it, we see an example of emptiness being turned into overflow. So I'm going to read verses one to four again. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Immediately, when we see this psalm, we see that the psalmist was in a difficult season. He's thirsty. He's longing for more of God. He's facing such sorrow that he goes so far as to say that all he's been eating are his own tears. I mean, we get it. It's a little dramatic. Uh, he was probably an Enneagram Four. They like to go deep in their sorrow. Okay, a couple people know the Enneagram here. Is that cool? Are we past the Enneagram now? Um, anyway, he 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 was you know wallowing in his hardship, but but seriously, he was in a difficult season, Um, and in that season of hardship, what does he choose to do? I love this language. He chooses to pour out his soul to God. I love this imagery, pouring out his soul. It's as if he's saying, even though I'm hungry and thirsty, I still have something to pour out, to overflow for God. Because sometimes the overflow, if we're honest, it looks like pouring out our souls to God and just naming the hunger, naming the hardship, naming the emptiness, right? My soul thirsts for you, God. When will I be able to meet with you again. Do you hear the emotion in those words, right? How he's pouring out his soul to God. Another word for this process is the practice of lament, right? Pouring out our souls before God, coming before God with honesty about the state of our own souls and about the state of our, of our world around us. That's the practice of lament. And it's actually a powerful way. It seems counterintuitive, right? To name our emptiness, but that's actually a way to be filled with the power and presence of God. Lament is Jesus on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Walter Brueggemann calls lament the language of suffering. Lament is the language of suffering. And putting words to our suffering and the suffering of the world around us, it doesn't drive us away from God, but it actually draws us closer to Jesus, right? He was the man of sorrows and suffering. And when we find the presence of Christ in our pain, we drink from living water and we're filled to the point of overflow We have potential like Christ to overflow, to become wounded healers and overflow for the sake of the world around us. So sometimes the overflow very much does look like lament. On the other hand though, sometimes the overflow looks like praise, right? We're gonna turn back to this Psalm. In this season of despair that the Psalmist was in, he remembers the times when he went to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise. Verses four and five. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my my savior and my God. He remembers, he looks back on the overflow of praise from his past and that gives him hope for that overflow to come again I don't know about you, but this, this really resonates with me as I think about the last few months of my life. I've been in a season where lament has come a lot easier than praise. It's been a lot easier for me to, to join the psalmist in those pouring out his soul to God with hunger and thirst. But I, I know that I can look back on times in my life, many, many times in my life, not even that long ago, when shouts of joy and praise were the ones that came much more quickly and easily right? And that gives me hope. It gives me hope because I know that that season will come again. Some of you may be in a season where overflowing praise just comes easy for you. And for others, it may be more difficult, but that's the reality of life, right? We all go through seasons. Like the book of Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. At the end of the day, hear this, praise and lament are not in conflict with one another. They're two sides of the same coin. We can both cry out to God in the language of suffering while at the same time embodying what the apostle Paul called a life overflowing with thankfulness. I wanna close with just one final image of overflow. Most of, as I was just thinking and preparing this, most of what I said can kind of be interpreted as fairly individualistic, like how does God wanna overflow in me? And there's a level of truth to that. That's a big aspect of our life as Christians is being filled with the Holy Spirit and overflowing from the inside out. But there's also a communal element to this overflow, right? There's a communal element of emptiness being transformed into abundance because this overflow, whether it's lament, gratitude, praise, or whatever it looks like for you is not an end in and of itself. It must lead to action. For example, Here we are, we're gathered together for worship like we're doing here this Sunday morning. The end purpose, the end goal of this is not merely to worship God for here for an hour or so, right? But to overflow with worship into our everyday lives, to overflow into our workplaces, our homes, our schools, or wherever God sends you, When the abundance that God gives us, the abundance that God gives us, when it doesn't overflow into our actual everyday lives, it actually becomes emptiness again. Let me repeat that. When the abundance that God gives us doesn't overflow into our actual everyday lives, it becomes emptiness. Emptiness again. If the only time we overflow is from ten to eleven thirty on Sunday mornings, it's not a true spiritual overflow. It's just empty noise. This is a recurring issue in the lives of so many Christians here and around the world in local churches. As beautiful and important as Sunday morning worship is, it's not the main event of our lives. Right? The main event is our actual lives. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through Sunday. To take it even further, when our worship set aside time doesn't overflow into our lives, it actually becomes unacceptable to God. Listen to these words from Amos chapter 5. This is God speaking to a community whose worship had become empty. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never ailing stream let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. The overflowing abundance of the Holy Spirit should flow out of us as a never failing stream of justice and righteousness. That is true abundance. That is true overflow. That is true worship. It's like what Corby and Melissa were talking about what's going on with Kids Alive. And in Guatemala, that is true worship and overflow flowing out of their lives inside. To the lives of these people who so desperately need justice. And I can't remember, what'd you say, Corby? Justice is not just the getting the law? Not just a verdict, but how the If I would have known that, I would have quoted him before. It's not just the verdict, but how the victim is treated. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about rivers of justice, streams of righteousness. When we're filled with rivers of living water from Jesus, they can overflow from us into others, not for our sake alone, but for the sake of the world. Because God delights in transforming emptiness into abundance. And God is inviting you and me to join in this transforming work in us, in our city, and in our world. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodeschicago.com.